This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined from Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? It's going very well indeed. Our golden weather continues. Same here in Fakatani, actually. It's so sunny and warm and delicious. It, it's, uh, it's perfect lockdown weather. I'm going to plant some seeds today. Indeed. And who are we introducing today? Today it is my great pleasure to introduce Kura Paul Burke. Uh, I've known Kura since 2005 when I was, um, I decided I wanted to be a teacher. So I enrolled in the Itirere program at Awanui Arangi and um, then realised that it was an almost fluent Māori class and realised I couldn't stay in that class. So I ended up going off to in, uh, to primary school teaching but um, one of the great things that came out of that was meeting Kura and um, her and I have our lives intersect over and over and over again since then so Kura welcome thanks for joining us today. Kia ora. Welcome Kura where are you? I am in uh, sunny Papa Moor in Tauranga Moana. And at this point, I would have said, and how was your lockdown? But that would be confusing now. So let's go for how was your first lockdown? How was the big one? Um, the big one? Uh, well, I loved it. Um, it was uh, a time to, I, I loved it. Stay hanging um, with Bano and going for walks. There's a, a, a wetland reserve across the road from my house. And it was a, just a really peaceful, relaxing, beautiful time. Except for when going to get um, groceries, you know, that was a little bit stressful. But uh, other than that, it was wonderful. And how's it been going back into lockdown this time? A feeling of we got this or here we go again? How's that felt? Um, mm, I don't know. Uh, like, it feels good to be able to stop everything and reconnect, you know, at home with Fano again. But there is, you know, the Delta variant is, um, is scary. So... Um, and thinking of all our whānau, um, you know, around the Motu and Auckland, Tāmaki, Makoto, you know, who are suffering at the moment um, with uh, the Delta variant. So, you know, mixed feelings of um, happy to be at home, but worried for our, you know, our, um, our fellow people from Aotearoa. And are you working from home? Yes. I mean, yes. Yes, there was there was enthusiasm there. You just couldn't quite find it. I I, uh, I work a lot from home um, anyway, so um, yeah, there's not too big a change. Are you teaching, researching? What are you doing? 
Um, uh, researching. So I do a lot of, I'm a marine researcher and so we're out on the boat and in the water a lot. Um, uh, that's my primary focus. And then of course, you know, all the other day-to-day -day things like, you know, a thousand Zoom meetings, etc., to keep it all going. Marine researcher, that is cool. In section in fourth year botany, we had to um, do the paddy training for the um, there was a seaweeds class, and so they made the paddy training um, compulsory. And I loved it because I'm a swimmer. I'm an I'm an open water swimmer. But as soon as I started diving, my ears couldn't cope. Oh no! And it was like oh, the doctor said, "It's just not worth. It's, we can't fix this. You have to give up. Do something else." You're so it's unfixable. been yeah, unfixable, so I just get to swim around on top of the water looking down at everything. What led you oh, into a... marine research? Um, well, I used to be an early childhood lecturer when Mawira was talking earlier about Itirere was a copa for Māori early childhood degree. And then I met my now husband, and he is a freedive instructor um, and a, uh, he's a professional diver. Um, and so I went out to Fakari to White Island, like back in the day, and um, and you know, and I was watching him free dive, and I was just like amazed by it. And so I, on the way back to the mainland, back to Fakatani, where I was living at that time, I decided that I would uh, resign from being an early childhood lecturer and go back to school as a first year marine studies student with five kids, because you know. <laughs> Sometimes we don't think these things through, <laughs> and that's what I did. And um, I love diving, free diving, scuba. I love everything about it. Being on the boat, being in a wetsuit, cold doesn't matter. I love it. Not just the environment. What what is it about the the the, the subject area that interests you? Um, well, we have. A, I do lots of different stuff. Uh, right now, we have a huge project in Ohiwa Harbour with um, Sustainable Seas National Science Challenge, where we are restoring mussels, and we're using um, bio waste. Um, you know, um, cabbage trees or tikoka, when their leaves die, they fall to the ground. So we pick up those bio waste, those fallen cabbage tree leaves, and we weed them into biodegradable degradable muscle sweat lines or muscle grow lines and so we are doing that and so because muscles uh you know like green lip muscles when they grow on a soft glaggy bottom like ohiwa harbour is in Whakatani, um they grow as a whanau on the bottom they don't grow as individuals they grow together and so on our biodegradable lines they grow as they attach and grow on our um, lines and then the lines dissipate out and fall to the bottom and the muscles fall as a whanau and reattach and um, as a result we um, have uh, last year we only had one traditional muscle bed in the harbour and now as of uh, middle of last year we actually have four muscle beds so we have three new muscle beds in close proximity to our restoration stations so that stuff like trying to figure out um, what's the best way to do something? Can we co-develop it with um, our four iwi partners and three councils? And it's just super, I don't know, it's intriguing, it's exciting, and there's a whole lot of finger crossing and hoping as well. And you get to go out on the sea. Yeah, yeah, that's the, like, the coolest part. <laughs> no matter, no matter, even if it's rough, if it, and it's rough a lot of the times and the water's 
like I was going to swear, but I won't. Like the wood is really cold, but uh, not as cold as as where you are though. But um, it's just I don't know. It's such a privilege. It's just wonderful. All of my swimming colleagues. I haven't been able to convince anybody to come back into the harbour with me yet this season, including me. Oh. I haven't gone back into the harbour yet. <laughs> but during the so during the big lockdown late last year, we spent a month swimming in the harbour into June. We're normally out of the harbour by the sort of middle of middle of April, but we swam into June. So I'm really hoping that we have something more than two or three days at level three, just to just to force my my colleagues into their wetsuits because they'll be wusses. I swim in togs um, oh, into the harbour. Really? Yeah, oh, yeah. You're like, oh, yeah, of course I do. I'm from yeah. Otago. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, so what size, what, what, thick, like, I use a, um, a five mil wetsuit up here. And if it's real cold, like, I might wear seven mil. Like, you wear, like, serious togs? Yeah. Like speedo togs. Yeah, yeah. Just a bit, I, for me, it's a matter of making sure you're warm to start with. Don't don't get cold on yeah. the way in. Um, and spend about two or three minutes getting in. It's that sort of cold shock that gets you if you if you freak out in the first in the first few minutes, you won't survive. But if you just cool your legs down as you're getting in, so you can sort of ease into the water. Easy. Easy peasy, he says. <laughs> I, like, I hate. I'm impressed. I and am. you just have. To- you just have to get good at dodging the icebergs, but once you learn that, <laughs> easy. No yeah. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Pink Floyd's "Comfortably Numb." Why this? Ah, uh, I went to um, I don't know when I was young, like in my twenties, maybe. Pink Floyd came to Aotearoa. I went to their concert. It was amazing. I just, I just, I really like this song. It's from from way back. Just like to 
sort of, I remember a long time ago, well, maybe five or ten years ago, I don't even know, time goes too fast now, um, you gave a public talk at Awanui Arangi um, about the state of Ohiwa Harbour uh, and about the um, what the sea stars were doing to their um, population um, of mussels. And are, are you starting to make some inroads there? Because that's been a ma mammoth undertaking, eh? Yes, it has. And, you know, and sea stars, um, the 11 armed sea star is an issue uh, not just in Ohiwa Harbour. It's an issue in Hauraki and Tikapa Moana and Hauraki Gulf, as well as um, in Makitu and also uh, in Top of the South, um, Te Pauihu. So sea stars are key, like ferocious predators of mussels and other shellfish. But we have, um, uh, we actually have a Māori Marine PhD student who is doing her PhD specifically on while we're trying to understand a degraded bottom, you know, the harbour floor, uh, how can we best manage the sea stars? And so she is a stunning, uh, super clever um, young woman who's looking at that as part of her PhD. That's really cool. I re remember one of the things that you said that really just stayed with me all this time was that sea stars exist where people exist we are 100 percent responsible for the explosion of their population oh you know humans us uh, anything anything in our natural world that's um that's degraded declining or you know in crisis will have will be because of humans it's i don't think it's a secret um and sea stars, yeah, you're right. Like, I think it was in 2009, we did sea star, sorry, um, surveys um, around the islands, around in Whakatani, around Motahora or Whale Island, Rurima, and also from the Whakatani heads around to Ohupu Beach. And, um, and it was really interesting what we found way back then was that where there was human habitation, like uh, on the mainland, you know, Whakatani, there were too many sea stars. But once we went out to Mo to Whale Island or to Rurimum, um, sea stars were in sustainable numbers. So is it the runoff? Is it our our human pollutants going into our rivers, into our waterways, into our estuaries, into our oceans? Um, is that favorable um, for the population boom of sea stars? It seems that way, doesn't it? It, it really does. does. In, in Aussie, they've been um they've spent um Oh, millions of dollars and spent, um, I think it's maybe the last 17 or so years trying to find that out. And sea stars totally, um, they're just kicking our butts. There's so much we don't know. I remember a few years ago, um, we used to uh, go out to uh, Waiotahi, which is uh, for listeners oh, yeah. who won't know, it's near um, near Oportiki, and put our, kai, uh, our canoe in um, and go over to this little island that had formed in the harbour. And it was plentiful with really, really fat pippy. Oh my gosh, they were so fat and so delicious. Um, but what I noticed over the years is all of a sudden the population started to reduce, the size started to reduce. And it wasn't through a lot of other people harvesting because it's actually quite difficult to get to. You had to have a means of getting there. You couldn't swim there. You couldn't walk there. And, um, and then one day, one of the kids picked up this puppy and attached to it was a sea star. It's the first time I'd ever seen one. Then the next year, every puppy had a sea star attached to it. The population just exploded. So how do we, how can we apply 
the values of Matauranga to the problem to and get our community response really focused on our traditional ways of doing things? Um, big question. Um, yeah. <laughs> the first thing I want to say is I remember your canoe. Uh, and the second thing I want to say is uh, around um, the pipi and also the cockle populations in Ohiwa Harbour, we also have, I also have another um, Māori Marine, another another amazing Māori woman who's doing her PhD on the Pipi and Cockle populations, and she's actually just started. She'll be, we'll be doing surveys this summer. Um, but you know those Pipi beds in Ohiwa, at one stage there was a two hectare Pipi bed that had around a, um, like a two hectare Pipi bed, and in it there were an estimated 100,000 11-armed sea stars in it. Um, Research from out of Australia tells us that around 15 sea stars per hectare, as in one five sea stars per hectare, is a sustainable or a balanced number. But we had 50,000. That's yeah. how prolific. And that was uh, in 2019. That was only two years ago. Um, I forgot what your question was, but I know it was oh, fabulous. But even, but, and, uh, and I'll, we'll come back to that because that, that's got me thinking. If I think about where that pippy bed is that I'm talking about and the number of dairy farms that are around it, like, you know, like evidence is such a funny thing in science. We have to have absolute evidence to be able to say something is a, is a truth, really. And, and it's hard to say that it's because of all the dairy farms, but if, if we, everywhere we are and in, in, in the areas where our activity is most concentrated that's also matches the concentration of sea stars so at what at what stage can we say this is an undeniable fact well um where there's humans you're right about that but and you know it's not just dairy farms there's forestry in the ohiwa catchment there's forestry there's horticulture there's infrastructure there's roads yeah every time it rains um, you know, stuff on the roads gets washed into our estuaries, into our ocean, and into our waterways. So it is human activity. Us, it yes, is. us. Mm -hmm. So how do how do we apply the values of Matauranga to help heat start the, the healing process to this? And how do we use that to engage our wider community? How do we educate people? All of those well, things. I think that um so one of the one of the principles that that I use and, and I have used for over a decade now in all my research is called Fanongatanga. Um it's a Fanongatanga approach. And Fanongatanga just means relationships. Relationships like within myself as a kaitiaki or a researcher, if you like. Um, relationships within my research team and also with the wider community, but equally as important from a Māori perspective, relationships of myself as a species, because you know humans, we're species, we are a species. So that means that we are part of the natural world, not separate, um, superior or isolated from the natural world. So um, so a whanaunatanga approach or that relational approach to the world and the work that we do is about positioning ourselves as a species within the world. And like you, you've been saying, that um, and recognizing that as humans, we are more destructive than we are constructive. We are more destructive rather than a constructive species. But in terms of um, using like a Māori knowledge or mātauranga Māori, because we follow a relationship whanaungatanga approach to the work that we do, that means that all of our work is co-developed. Um, Generally, um, 
generally scientists and researchers would walk into a space and go, all right, I'm in Mawira's backyard, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to do it this way and that way, and I don't necessarily need to talk to you about it. Um, and I don't necessarily need to ask you, even though you may have lived in that backyard, you and your, your relations for 140 consecutive years, um, generally, I wouldn't feel the need to talk to you about anything you may know about it, because I'm just going to come and do my stuff. But a Mātauranga Māori approach takes a different way of, of um, doing research. And that is the first thing we do is we go back to the people who know their place. Yeah. So, um, and so we work with our iwi partners uh, and we ask them uh, when they were little, where did you used to go? When you were young, where did you go to get your muscles, your pippies or whatever? And we ask about them when they're young because that means someone older took them. And if yeah. someone older took them, that means you already have two generations of knowledge. And, and it goes back that way. So we follow that, that uh, information through. And once we do that, we also then, um, more equally as important is, I don't arrive with the question, I, I have my own questions, but what we do is we co-develop um, the research question together. So what is, it, what is your issue, your needs, your aspirations and your priorities? And we um, do it that way. So a Mātauranga Māori approach is like co-developing with our iwi partners and wider community members, and then also co-implementing. So I guess it's like um, as many, you know, like that saying, um, more heads, to, you know, we, are, we put more heads together to try to solve a problem. It's that approach. That's a good approach. And it's, and it's very much a treaty approach too, isn't it? It's that... Yes. Um, it's a shared responsibility and shared decision making. I really like that. I'm, uh, one of the boards that I sit on is the uh, Manaki Kaimai Mamaku Trust and that we have completely rebuilt our entire board to reflect those exact values. Wow. Because that is the only way that we can truly make change happen, I believe. Uh, I, I, I tend to agree, I think, and for our example in Ohiwa is that like we have um, equipment in the water, our restoration stations, and we have had no issues, none. It's been in the, they've been in the water since uh, 2018 and nothing has been stolen. It's all, you know, just in, it's just in the harbour, nothing's been stolen. If anything breaks, you know, because the ocean is the ocean and stuff get wears down and gets destroyed by the ocean, locals ring us we to get phone calls all the time like this has happened that's happened uh if people um uh come too close to our restoration stations or maybe perceived to be mischief and maybe taking muscles and that then locals will ring us or they take photos and send them to us so our project because i uh, and i think that it's because not only have we included local iwi in the communities but we also um use their, you know, we, we're trialing their ideas as well. There's a real community, not responsibility, but responsibility, a really com a community love, I think. Yeah. It's, it's astounding, excuse me. Their support is amazing, like amazing. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nga mihi aroha nui kia koutou ko tāhuahau. I hope you're all having a stay, beautiful superstars in your beloved universes. I really hope wherever you are, whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all in together is proving to be very rewarding 
be sustaining and illuminating for you more and more each day. Who you are, the triumph of nature's art, perfect, and here, making things better. Thank you. So I know that for all of us it has been a very challenging time and of course it's so important that we work together to find ways to care for ourselves and each other, to be kind, to be compassionate, to offer understanding and support, to be a, a listening ear, to be an open heart, to be the best that we can be for ourselves and each other at this tricky time and beyond. And of course we find ourselves again in lockdown level four. I'm talking to you from the Gardens New World car park there's a very small queue it's absolutely tiny there's only two people in the queue which is just amazing and I can see my neighbor from down the road and other people that I know even though they've got their masks on I recognize them so it's been quite a fascinating time I know for all of us I'm so grateful to be part of the show and have these five minutes with you thank you Sam and the whole Blowing Bubbles team for having me I'm also so grateful to be here in Aotearoa, Stunida and Aotearoa, New Zealand because, of course, our wonderful government has the elimination strategy and I just feel so relieved that that's the strategy that is being used because we can really feel that we're being looked after. So I'm very relieved. So I hope that for all of you, you are feeling supported, you are feeling looked after and you're finding ways every day to make this time as positive and helpful as possible. I know that for me, I've been really loving the opportunity to get out and walk in my neighbourhood, particularly in the evening and seeing the beautiful sunsets that are here at the moment and hearing all the birds. Now that there are, of course, less movements, less action from the human-made world, less cars buzzing and beeping around, we can hear the birds singing and buzzing and beeping around if they're too in Bellbird. And it's just so beautiful. And of course, not only that, but having the opportunity to see all the life springing up around us. Even at this time of year when we should be in winter, all the fruiting and flowering that's going on because it's so lovely and warm. And we can call this process of observation and looking at those cycles phenology. And we've got all these different cycles that happen with different plants throughout the year. It's wonderful. I can see my geography in turn going into the supermarket who's actually helping me make a phenology wheel for schools. So of course something about us as a species is that we love to connect. We wouldn't be where we are, we wouldn't have created the, the human made world if it wasn't for that innate desire to work together and to communally co-evolve with one another as a species but of course all life as a species and something that I'm enjoying is that process of observing one another seeing the cycles that we're all moving through and where I can and if I can giving some encouragement and some uplifting sense of that community that oneness that wholeness that in fact is there in our essential nature and of course that innate ability to nurture and to see the love that is in all our interaction it's interesting for me of course with people with their masks on when we're in the queue and we're interacting we still can tell when each other is smiling and see our eyes beaming at each other and so it's a wonderful opportunity I think for us to even though we're staying more than two metres away, to 
become again more aware of those nuances of behavior and to see that spark of consciousness in the eyes of one another and of course we have evolved to really tune into faces and facial expression and so now it's like this time of real refinement we were tuning in just to the eyes really quite a powerful retuning for us all I know so I really hope for you you're finding these moments each day where you can remember who you are and that legacy of of lifelong learning that we're all connected to and I hope that you're getting lots of love and support and having happy moments, happy interactions. And I look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks so much. Kakitehi. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. We're talking with Cora Paul Burke. Cora, we're ta- you're talking about Maturanga Maori and being the, the Maturanga Maori informing the science, the relationship between the Western science and the Maturanga Maori. Do you think we can take that to, you know, wider problems or maybe even a pandemic does it give us a different view on things um it does you know like mātauranga maori um does have a different view of the world but it also is also really similar if you want to talk around science and um and knowledge development or knowledge creation because both mātauranga maori and i guess traditional western science both seek to better understand the world and both use systematic processes to do that. So there are um, there are spaces where Mapuranga Māori and, and Western science or Western knowledge come together are like really beautifully. And then there are other places where they stand in their own lanes. And that's great. That's that's okay because that's where we can look at the potential between those two lanes. I don't know if I answered your question, but there you go. You did. The temptation must be for people to think that that's a bit of a luxury. That you know, we've got this pandemic, we need to deal with it in this way. I'm wearing an invisible hat of somebody else at this point. Um, in terms of, well, you know, my expertise isn't in, like, um, medicine. So when it comes to the pandemic, I, uh, you know, I, I follow the advice of our government and, and scientists in that space. But if you, and generally, um, if you, if generally our world is, dissolving around us at an unprecedented rate whether it's um, a pandemic whether it's um, filthy waterways whether it's tornadoes fires floods you name it it's happening now so if we seek to solve or better understand the problems of our world wouldn't you want to access as many knowledge tracks or systems as possible to better understand and hopefully um, come to some solutions for all humanity, irrespective of whether it's a female who has the knowledge or a male, or whether it's someone who's Māori or Finnish or Swedish or German. Does that matter? In my head, it doesn't. What matters is that if we're all about knowledge, let's seek knowledge to help all of humanity better care for our planet, you know? To me, no-brainer. What lessons do you think we can take from the pandemic and the pandemic response for those bigger sorts of world-dissolving problems, things like climate change and social equity, biodiversity, state of the seas? Do, do you think we can take anything from how we've responded for those things? Um, 
Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I haven't thought about it in, in that context. Um, I do. I mean, uh, look at look at us. We uh, just this second or this lockdown, there was one person, you know, um, who who did all the right things too in terms of tracing and and getting tested, and and the response of our entire whānau from Aotearoa New Zealand was to all of us. And there's some, you know, there are people of varying degrees of opinions on that, but we work together as a whānau, as a team, you know, our team of five million. So imagine then if we were able to use, um, I guess, that process or those strategies and to really look at how we can be better um, for our world, our, our environment. Even as I say it, I can also already hear the debates um, in my own head about how you would go about that. So I don't know the true answer. The pandemic had the advantage in, if that's a sensible way to describe it, as being an imminent threat to pu- to humans. And it was directly countable and they could say, you have to do this by Tuesday. The, the oceans in particular have the disadvantage of not having any of those things. We only know a small percentage about our ocean, about our estuaries, our oceans, and even the way we um, look at understanding and in order to better manage and make decisions for our marine spaces. You know, estuaries, um, uh, estuaries have both freshwater and salt water coming into them and they are largely lumped under freshwater but they have largely marine species in them so it's recognizing i think that that our oceans are not separate from our waterways which are not separate from our land and of course and and the work and and the impact of humans on that um in terms of education absolutely we're all still learning um we're all still learning about our oceans and way to be better guardians for them and the, and part of that is to have those conversations about what we know, what we can do better, and what we still need to learn, which is an awful lot. I remember when we interviewed, we interviewed um, Te Atarangi Sayers not very long ago, and one of the things he said, and, and something I'd heard before, is that every second breath we take comes from the ocean. And I so I say to people all the time, take a breath, and then breathe out, and then hold your breath for that time and then take another breath and breathe out and hold your breath and feel the impact of what it is to not be able to breathe. And at what point in in our journey as a species will we stop and think about what we need to change so that we can continue literally to breathe? If we kill the ocean, we kill ourselves. And and I don't think people really understand the gravity of the situation or or how close we are to that being a real issue for us. Uh, and, and breath is pa, so koteha, the breath, mm. the breath of koteha uh, the moana, the breath of the ocean koteha te tangata, the breath of the people, one and the same. How do we get? How do we get the message out there? How do we stop people putting their heads in the sand and just hoping it'll all go away? Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, I don't even know where to begin. Um, uh, I don't know. Um, I think one thing is that we just, we still, we keep trying. Like um, when I started doing my research, my science, you know, over a decade ago, um, 
uh, mataranga Māori was not considered in science, in Western science. And, you know, that conversation we had earlier around the professors from Auckland University. Um, and, and then I just decided that this is how I know, this is what feels right. And so my master's and my PhD both included mataranga Māori and our um, intergenerational ancestral knowledge as the baseline for all our research. So we just, and I just did it. And I was afraid too. I was really scared to stand up and talk about my science because I expected to be challenged um, because it was different. Just because it's different, it's not wrong. It's just different. But um, so for over a decade, I never really talked about um, my science, uh, the way we do our science and our research out loud because I was afraid. Um, I was a lone voice, Māori woman in marine science. Um, but now, you know, I'm kind of older now, so um, a little bit older, a little bit stroppier, but not necessarily stroppy, but now we've had such success. It's um, the evidence speaks for itself that we just have to don't give up hope and don't stop trying. So I guess it's like be a try hard. <laughs> and I think these conversations matter so much, don't they? Because if we're talking about it, the more we talk about it, the more people have the opportunity to hear. And the more people hear, the more they have to, they've got to be starting to think that it's that um, applying critical thinking, uh, trying not to hide from the truth of things and and actually just starting to vision for a future. There's a whole bunch of things tied up in that, eh? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, you know, what's been really exciting also is that um, I'm not alone anymore. Um, so I have, and and I'm not alone, not only in terms of having other like Māori scientists and researchers working with them, but also other non-Māori, like uh, in Ohiwa Harbour, we we have a pro our project for the muscle restoration is called Afimai Afiatu. Afimai means embrace here, Afiatu, embrace there. And we chose that name, well, the Kaumatua chose that name because we wanted a deliberate space where we brought together Mātauranga Māori with Western science and it has been so fantastic. So we work with amazing marine scientists from all over the country who bring their Western um, expertise and we marry it with our Mātauranga expertise. And so the success, well, you know, this I don't want to say success because we're still going through the process, but the success to date has been and the strength of our um, restoration in Ohiwa Harbour in particular has been the coming together of experts, knowledge, practices, everything. You know, Aotearoa, we all live here together. So it's about us all being included and working together. We're better together. Yeah. I need to squeeze in Netherworld Dancing Toys for today. Why this one? Netherworld Dancing Toys, because it takes me back to when I was a uni student, back in the day, way, way back in the day. And they came, and I was a student at Waikato University, and they came to perform Annie Crummer, the amazing voice of Annie Crummer. And they were just fantastic. I've always loved this song.
have some questions to end the show with. What is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Um, all five of my children. I have five children. Um, they are all doing well in their lives. They are good people on a good day. Uh, they're good people doing good things for themselves and their communities. And uh, and also I have three mokopuna, so, you know, that's fantastic. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. It's our team of people doing good work. So you are in that team. What's your superpower? My superpower? Yep. Um, my superpower is... I don't know. Um, what, what other people's superpowers? Can you give me a, a hint? Like, I don't, I don't know. What to, uh, my superpower is positivity. I thought you were going to go for something like breathing underwater. I was, I was, thinking, gonna, hey, I was going to have was, to correct you to that. <laughs> I was thinking of um, diving, but, you know, I'm, I'm not the greatest diver in the whole world, so I'll go with positivity. <laughs> Do you consider yourself to be an activist? Uh, yes. It depends on what you mean by activist. If, you, if an activist is someone who um, is positive and proactive and want to um, better species and spaces for our future generations, then yes. So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Love. Love for life. Love for our our ocean love for the next generation and love for and love the fact that I'm here in Aotearoa so lucky so grateful and what's the biggest challenge or opportunity you're looking forward to in the next year or so um convincing my husband that it really is a really 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 good idea that we buy a sailing catamaran and we circumnavigate Aotearoa because you know getting old people that that's my biggest challenge and he's like 99 percent there it's got to push him over the edge just do it i reckon oh he's he's pretty there yeah we'll come and visit you sam you'll absolutely have to come and visit you we'll be out in the middle of the harbor welcoming you in you can be in your togs and lastly do you have any advice for our listeners um stay safe Stay healthy, stay positive, and stay grateful that we live in this amazing country. Will do. Thank you for that. Mawera. Kurai, so many great memories of um, conversations that we've had and things I've learned from you. And uh, one of them on, um, I wish I could recreate all the time, was um, a rain dance where there was a big group of us in a circle and we made the rain that was incredible just with with our hands um the sound of the beginning from those first little spits through to an, a raging storm it was absolutely remarkable but um you know over the years you've given me this uh this opportunity to see the world through a different lens through your lens and it's a lens that matters so much thank you very very much for sharing with us today Wrestle with the thrust
You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. This is Frightened Rabbit. Swim until you can't see land. I'm Tammy Manasaurus Bay Dunedin with Mawera Karatai in Fakatani and in Papua. We've been joined by Cora Paul Burke. That was Blowing Bubbles. We hope you enjoyed the show. So swim until you can't see land. Swim until you can't see land. Swim until you can't see land. Are you a man? Are you a by your sand? Swim until you can't see land. Swim until you can't see land. Swim until you can't see land. Are you a man? Are you a by your sand?
This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.